All right. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. I'm going to start right off reading what Scripture says transpired the morning of the resurrection. Luke 24, starting verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. We have been looking in the first quarter of 2017 what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus, right? And, and we made that distinction at very the very beginning, and we wanted to make that distinction between being a follower of Jesus and just professing to be a Christian, because oftentimes when we say I'm a Christian, that may kind of get watered down to sort of believe, well, I'm a Christian, which means I assent to or I agree intellectually with a set of doctrine, right? We've seen over the last three months together that in making it more specific to say, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? That it's a personal relationship, genuine, personal, intimate, daily walk. Sure, we agree with, sure, we assent to core doctrines of the Christian faith, but to be a follower of Jesus makes it real and makes it personal and makes it practical, right? We, we saw that, that prayer that you've heard me share with almost every week. The, the early rabbis would say, may the dust, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, right? And we saw that relationship between a rabbi and his disciples in this culture that they said, would you just follow your rabbi so closely along the dusty trails that the dust he kicks up would ultimately cover you, right? And, and, and this relationship was 24-7, and, and it wasn't academic in orientation. When I followed, when I found a rabbi to follow as his disciple, I wanted to learn. But more than that, I wanted to be him. I wanted to be that rabbi. Sure, it was important to hear his teaching, what we call the yoke of Scripture. Sure, I wanted to, to, to be in alignment with his teaching. But more than that. I wanted to follow my rabbi so closely because I just wanted to be him. They say that the disciples would copy a, a, a rabbi's mannerisms and how he even spoke. And, and as we've looked at that in practical application this first quarter this year, many of us, myself included, have been, have been really challenged 
Lord, how's my following of Jesus been? How's my following of Jesus been? Have I, do I daily, have I daily started the day with Jesus today? I want to follow you so closely that if we were still walking along dusty paths, your dust would cover me at work. I would follow you so closely in my marriage. I would follow you so closely in how I handle my time and my money. I would follow you so closely in what comes out of my mouth, what comes through my head. That's what we've been talking about for three months, being a follower of Jesus. And as I was thinking about the resurrection, the same thing kind of applies. Sometimes we define Christian as an assent to just a set of doctrine, core doctrine, beliefs. Yeah, sure, check, 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 believe, believe, believe. I'll say a prayer. I must be a Christian, right? Sometimes when it comes to Easter and resurrection, depending if you've been you know, in church any length of time, if you studied the evidence for the resurrection, sometimes I think the resurrection can kind of become academic as well. We sort of just say, yeah, I've studied it. Yeah, there's proof. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm there. Check. But when was the last time the resurrection became personal? See, we, we often will gather on Easter. Nothing wrong with it, but if we sometimes, the common view to go to an Easter service is to celebrate something in the past. We agree with it, we affirm it, we assent to it, we're going to sing songs about it, but we're just acknowledging and celebrating a past event that we collectively sort of agree to. This morning, did you wake up and said, Wow! It's Easter! He's alive! Right. I, I shared, I had the privilege to share, I teach Wednesdays with, with, with uh, the junior high and high schoolers, and, and we've been talking about following Jesus, who is Jesus, that Jesus wants a relationship, right? And I'm like, okay, guys, what's a key element to have a relationship with somebody? That they be alive. <laughs> key. Key. Right? Because, see, we want, we want junior high and high schoolers to walk with Jesus because he's alive. Amen? And why is he? We know it because of the resurrection. Right? We don't want to teach junior highers and high schoolers to compartmentalize their faith as just assent to a bunch of doctrine that they agree with. No, we want them to bring Jesus to school. We want them to bring Jesus into their social groups, into their sports teams, into how they handle homework, into how they honor and obey their parents. Wink, wink. Go ahead, just turn to your kid and say, did you hear that? Go ahead, just if you got someone here, just say, yeah, he's talking. Application. No. It's a relationship. So this morning as we gather as followers of Jesus, we've got to bring the resurrection. Celebrate it, ascend to it, but let's bring it to today. Amen. Let's bring it to today. Now, I love this quote by, by Warren Wiersbe. He says, too many Christians are what he calls, quote-unquote, betweeners. They live between Egypt and Canaan. 
saved but never satisfied. Or they live between, I love this, Good Friday and Easter. Believing in the cross, but not entering into the power and glory of the resurrection. We had a great Good Friday service, right? You agreed to it, took communion, great affirmation, recognition of what Jesus did for you personally on the cross. Are you still living in Saturday? Think about that. As you walk daily, does your life, does your following of Jesus reflect more of a Saturday? Yeah, I'm kind of, I believe I'm saved because I believe Jesus died for me. Ah, Saturday. I'm a tweener. Or have you appropriated, do you believe that Jesus is alive and you've been given everything you need for life and godliness and the Holy Spirit lives in you? That makes a profound difference. That makes a profound difference if you're a Christian and whether you choose to live on Saturday or you're going to cross the line and say, Woo! Right? Because it's kind of, I mean, let's get real. What we are celebrating and what we profess to believe right now, many people think we're cray-cray. Do you realize what you say you profess? I believe in the resurrection. That you rose again. See, in 25 years of ministry, I've had the privilege to do many memorial services and many graveside services. And I got to tell you, if a dear brother or sister that I presided over their graveside showed up in my living room. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Do you get it? That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about some historical event that you're going to ascend to. We're talking about somebody who was dead, came to life. And because of that truth, we know we have life. Now, spiritual life, eternal life. Has that truth sunk in? Has that truth sunk in? And that's what we're going to look at today. If you've been uh, with me in Easter's past, you know I kind of love Easter because uh, Scripture is pretty straight up and pretty blunt about the importance of the resurrection event. See, here's the thing, and, and I've said it enough that someone said it this morning. They beat me to the punch. If the resurrection didn't happen, I'm going home to watch the NBA playoffs. I will never come back. That's what the Bible says. So we have to settle this issue. The resurrection is not something you can sort of just play with. If the resurrection didn't happen, 1290 grand was the biggest mistake ever. Moving to that new facility and, and everything that we look forward to with presenting the gospel and transformation and changed lives, if the resurrection didn't happen, whoops. So did it? 
that your conviction? Is that your settled belief? And why do you believe that? You have to settle that. And, and sometimes maybe your following of Jesus, the, this, when it comes to making temptation, you know, choices of temptation and obedience and walking, sometimes doubt about the core elements of the faith are reflected in our decision making. So I wanted to share a little bit to help you, and I put some helps in your outline about the resurrection. If you've never kind of been challenged to go, wait a sec. So you're telling me, all you here who believe in who, not to put you on 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 the spot, but to put you on the spot. How many how many here believe in the resurrection? Okay. Awesome. So if you put your hand up, what you're saying, not just to the other people here, but everybody in this community and wherever you, you're saying that on the timeline of Earth's history. You are saying that you believe on the timeline of Earth's history that Jesus Christ lived on this planet, was crucified, died, was buried, and rose from the dead as a historical event on the timeline of Earth's history. I just want to be clear that that's what you said. That's what you, that's what you said. Right? Why? What's the confidence you have in that? And, and I want to look at that in your outline. It says, why is the resurrection so important? Here, here's kind of the, the, uh, the challenging side, if it didn't happen. Here's what the Bible says, if it didn't happen. Number one, Jesus would be a liar. In John 2.19, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Verse 21 says he was speaking of his body. Jesus said, hey, I'm coming back in three days. So if the resurrection didn't happen, Jesus was a liar, then he sinned, couldn't be saved. Pretty heavy stuff, because we believe he was without sin, right? He was sinless. Number two, we are spreading a lie. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to camp there for a little bit. This is a wonderful passage about the importance of the resurrection in your faith and in my faith. 1 Corinthians 15. Ty, can we uh, kick on the AC a little bit? It's a little warm up here. 1 Corinthians 15. If the resurrection did not happen, you know what? We're spreading a lie. Look at, look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. Hey, if it didn't happen, Jesus is a liar. And right now we're all liars. That's pretty weighty. If it didn't happen, we're false witnesses. Okay, look at uh, verse four, one through four, same same chapter, first Corinthians 15 he gives the gospel. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you would have believed in vain. Here's the gospel. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our own sins, for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was what? 
raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. You have to be very clear. Sometimes Christians, and I understand how it happens when we say, hey, what's the gospel? Jesus died for you. That's not the complete. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus died for you and rose again. That's the gospel, and you're going to see why in a little bit. You cannot forget the resurrection is part of the gospel. You'll see why. Okay? The gospel is he was crucified, he died, and he rose again. The resurrection is part of the gospel, right? So, if there is no resurrection, look at verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And then verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your what? There's no good news. I'm wasting my time and your time. Preaching is futile. That's heavy. That's heavy. If the resurrection did not happen, there is no gospel. There is no good news. We're just wasting our Sunday. Let's go have breakfast and coffee and read the paper. Right? There is no good news. And then look at verse 18 and 19. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. There's no hope. If the resurrection didn't happen, there's no hope. This is all we got. This is it. No gospel. Jesus is a liar. I'm a liar. You're a liar. We're all liars. There's no good news. There's no hope. And, um, woohoo! You, you, you get what I'm saying? I love how the Bible doesn't skirt the issue. The resurrection, what you put your hands up to say that you confess to believe, is an integral to everything that we're built upon. I mean, that's, it's weighty. It's weighty. Now turn to Romans 4.25, and this is, this is really important about why you cannot leave the resurrection out of the gospel, okay? Romans 4.25. How many of you have ever heard when I said the gospel, that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. Anyone? Jesus paid the price. Jesus was a sacrifice. He paid for your sins. Anyone? He paid for your sins. How about your debt has been paid? How do you know God accepted that? But how do you know that the debt was paid? How do you know that payment was accepted? Well, yeah, if you read the verse I just told you to go to, then, then you, you, you cheated. Look at Romans 4.25. Integral verse to the gospel. This is why the resurrection matters. He was delivered over to death for our sins, Good Friday, and was raised to life for our what? Justification. The resurrection is proof that God accepted payment. Amen? That's how you know. That Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. That's why when Jesus says, it is finished, paid in full, that's how you know because of today that God accepted the payment. 
The resurrection is proof from God that payment was accepted, received, and now we can be justified. That is why you have to have the resurrection as part of the gospel. You cannot separate the two. You cannot separate today from Good Friday. That's how we know payment was made. Right? And we saw a few years ago, what does it mean to be justified? Declared not guilty, fully righteous. Right? It's a legal declaration from God that when you put your faith in Jesus, two things happen. Not only are you declared not guilty, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's justification. Amen? Come on now. Right? Positionally, God is pleased with you. 100%. How many of you blew it this week in some way? Anybody blow it before you got to church? Right? We talk about the miracle of the street right here. This is like the crossing. Families get into it. Husbands and wives and kids. And they park in the bank. And they cross the street. Topa Topa Crossing. And suddenly they walk through the door. Hey! How are you? Good, good. How was your week? Good. How was your morning? Great. Great. Yes, yes. The cool thing is, positionally, as God sees us, we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. As you sit here today, those who have professed Jesus, he's smiling at you. Turn to the person next to you and just give him a big smile. That's God. Doesn't excuse sin. Doesn't mean we don't blow it. Doesn't mean we're not imperfect. But positionally, that's, that's, that's good news. That's good news, right? So we can't separate it. Now, sometimes you run into people and, and, and you may get into good discussions with them about the resurrection and they're still wrestling with the historical nature of it and the reasonableness of it and the logic of it all. A few years back, we were, we were studying uh, different biblical truths and absolute truth versus relative truth. We looked at postmodernism and all of that. In that series, I put in your notes, we came across something called the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction is a core principle of logic, of reasoning, of thinking. Okay? You and I experience this every day. The law of non-contradiction says this. Two contradictory claims cannot both be true. Right? So for you math wizards, who, who here was strong in math? Loves math? Okay, we got one. Okay, we got two. Everyone just go, right? For you, for you math-oriented people, look at there's an equation. A does not or cannot equal negative A, right? They can't both exist. Two contradictory claims cannot both be true. So if A is Jesus is risen and negative A is Jesus is not risen, the law of non-contradiction says they cannot both be true. You have to land somewhere. One has to be true. That's just logic, reasoning, right? So it creates the need to wrestle with this, to to, to really think through the law of non-contradiction. And this is not just regarded to the um, resurrection. It's just everyday life, right? The sun is out or the sun is not out. They both can't be. 
See, this is how we live. This is how we live our lives. Just in reasonable getting along in life. The law of non-contradiction is everywhere. Two contradictory statements cannot both be true. Now, what has happened in our postmodern relativistic culture is they're trying to make them both sit there together. That's true for you. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me, right? And they, they, try, to, they try to let them sit. And that's created a lot of, of, of tension and turmoil just because they're allowing, our culture is allowing everything to sit. The law of non-contradiction, again, just in reasoning, this is a law of logic. It's not necessarily a Bible. It's just a law of logic. The law of non-contradiction. Two contradictory claims cannot both be true. So today, specific to the resurrection, Jesus is risen. Jesus is not risen. They cannot both be true at the same time. So now it becomes incumbent upon us, and, and many of you, you know, 90 plus percent of you raised your hands, you've already settled that conviction, but I'm just sharing this with you as maybe a, a way to dialogue. Not to argue, but just to dialogue and to get some of your friends and neighbors to think through what they think. Okay? The challenge, again, when you bring the law of non-contradiction into the current culture and climate of our, of our society, they're not going to like that. In a relativistic, postmodern culture, this, this, this creates a lot of tension right away. Just understand that. But it's a way to get people to think. It's, the, it's a plant to seed, if you will. Right? The law of non-contradiction. So how do we assess this resurrection? Maybe you're here today and, and, and you're still like, really? I, they can't both? And, and it's not? Okay, so give me, some, give me some help here. Give me some help here. And your notes there uh, from the Christian Research Institute, I just put this, something I found years ago that has helped me really explain it settle some issues just a launching point you can do a lot of research christian research institute has a lot of good material on the what we call the historicity of the resurrection but they use feat the resurrection is the greatest feat what is a what is a feat it's a remarkable deed f fatal torment john 19 right you remember the story they were going to go break the legs so they broke the legs of the two criminals on either side they went to jesus and they're about to break his legs and they said, oh, he's already dead. And then they got pierced. And when they pierced him, blood and water came out, which means they went all the way in. So fatal torment. Jesus died. He really died. Okay? E, empty tomb. We read those verses. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. Appearances. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at the appearances. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, the Apostle Paul. Jesus appeared. He appeared. And at the time of this writing, when they were claiming the resurrection, people were still alive 
that could have called it out as a lie if it didn't happen. So there were appearances. And then finally, transform lives. As a result of Jesus showing up, the apostles who were scared to death that they might be next, and they were in that, you know, in the upper room, suddenly their lives are transformed. Then you look at the Apostle Paul who met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Transformed lives. The only, rec- the only reasonable explanation, they saw Jesus. They had conversation with Jesus. Right? So transformed lives. There's a lot you can study and I encourage you to because sometimes, again, if we don't settle the conviction about this core event in history of earth, it can play out into your choices when you leave here. But if your conviction is that the resurrection genuinely happened in the timeline of earth's history, you leave here with confidence. You can leave here with some oomph behind your relationship with Jesus, right? There was a uh, gentleman by the name of Simon Greenleaf. Simon Greenleaf, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, he's the Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University. Okay? Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University. And Dr. Greenleaf decides, well, you know what? Let me check out this resurrection thing from the court's point of view, what they call the legal historical method. Evidence, document, witnesses. So Dr. Simon Greenleaf, the Royal Professor of Law at Harvard University, examines the resurrection from a legal perspective. And this is what he says. He says, he examined the value of the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to ascertain the truth. Greenleaf came to the conclusion that, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. Looking at it based on what would be presented in a court of law. It's called the legal historical method. Evidence, witnesses, documentation. Let's weigh it out, he says. Boom. The evidence is there. This is a man who would, would view it very critically, very intelligently from a legal perspective. And he says, no, the evidence is all there. One of the challenges sometimes you'll be raised with is, well, you know, can you prove that scientifically? Right? And people will bring out the scientific method. Well, one of the challenges and limitations of the scientific method, you make an observation, hypothesis, and all that stuff. The scientific method is based on something being what? Repeatable. You don't just test it once. You, you, you repeat it over and over and get your data. The scientific method is limited because you cannot prove any historical event using it because it's not repeatable. You can't prove you were born using the scientific method because it's not repeatable. If I were to say, Bill, prove to me you were born. Well, you're not going to go... And try to repeat the thing. You're going to show me your birth certificate, your pictures, right? You're going to bring witnesses. I was there when little Billy was born. You know, and all this that's the legal historical method. So, so don't get too, too knocked off kilter when someone says, well, prove that to me scientifically. Historical events are not, you don't use a scientific method to prove historical events because they're not repeatable. 
You use the legal historical method, documents, evidence, witnesses. Based on that, Dr. Simon Greenleaf says, it's there. The evidence is there. It is very important that we kind of come to this this conclusion, this, this settledness about the resurrection, right? Turn to John 5. We'll close with this passage. This is where it gets personal. John 5. Jesus, in John 5, is having a conversation with religious leaders. And this is what he says. John 5, verse 39. John five thirty-nine. Jesus speaking to religious leaders. He says this. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them, by the Scriptures, by studying, you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, he's speaking to scholars. He's speaking to religious leaders that devoted themselves diligently to the study of Scripture, the study, the study, the study. And along comes Jesus, who all the Scriptures pointed to, and they refused to make it personal. My point in, 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 in these passages and sharing it today is, Sure, it's important to study the resurrection. It's important to go through the apologetics of it. It's important to to study why you believe what you believe about the resurrection. But it's not meant to be academic. The resurrection is meant to be personal. Make it personal. The resurrection, we believe, not just in the historical fact on the history of Earth's timeline, but we believe that it matters today. Amen? Because... If Jesus was raised from the dead, that means he's alive right now. Which means when you walk out of here, you walk with him and you can follow him because of the resurrection. You see? You see? So he, 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 he's calling out to the religious leaders, hey, those scriptures, it's about me. Make it personal. Come to me. Hey, that resurrection, yeah, it's great, yes, affirm it, but make it real. Come to me today, walk with me today, because I'm alive. I'm alive today. I want a relationship with you. I know everything going on in your life. I want a relationship with you. Isn't that awesome? He wants a relationship with you. On the back of your notes, I put a, Another a quote that, that has ministered to me when I was a young Christian searching this out, trying to get some, some stability, some confidence in, in these core beliefs. Did some studying with Josh McDowell's material. And I love this quote. A believer in Jesus Christ today can have the complete confidence, as did those first Christians, that his faith is based not on myth or legend, but on the solid historical fact of the empty tomb. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you. For the truth of the resurrection. Thank you that Scripture does not candy coat it. In fact, it's very direct, especially through 1 Corinthians 15, that 
Without the resurrection, we're just wasting our time this morning. And yet the resurrection did happen. And because it did happen, we have hope. Because it did happen, Jesus wasn't a liar. And we're not liars. And we're not, uh, we're not wasting time today. There is a gospel. There is good news. And so this morning, we want to come to you, Jesus, and make the resurrection personal. Make the resurrection personal. I'll share with you a, a quote by a gentleman named Ray Pritchard. He says this, In the last days, as men turn away from God, paradoxically, they will become more religious, not less. Religion will become more popular as we approach the end times because people will seek some refuge in a world that is increasingly that increasingly has lost its way. They will ask the right questions, but will follow the wrong answers. It will be religion for religion's sake, not religion for the sake of knowing Christ. They will join the church or some other religious organization. They will be baptized, attend the services, sing and pray and give and go through the motions, but their hearts will not be in it. They will deny the very power they profess to believe. In particular, they will embrace a kind of postmodern religion that allows them to do anything, believe anything, endorse anything, live any way they choose as long as it makes them happy. They will say things like, quote, we don't need to be bound by the outdated rules of the Bible. Those are written 2,000 years ago and don't apply to us today. Lord, I thank you that the resurrection does apply to us today. I thank you that your truth never changes. And we don't want to just be going through religion for religion's sake. We want a relationship with you, Jesus. We want to follow you so closely that your dust would cover us wherever we go. So this morning, before we take communion, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, on this Easter 2017, perhaps this is the day for you to say, Jesus, I understand the importance of the resurrection much more clearly. I understand the evidence for the resurrection much more clearly. And Jesus, today by faith, I come to you to have life. And the best way I know how, right now, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm resting in your finished work on the cross. And Jesus, I'm believing that because of the resurrection, the payment was accepted by God the Father. So thank you for Easter. So in the best way I know, Jesus, I'm resting in your finished work for me today. I want a relationship with you, not religion. And so, Lord, as we distribute the elements and just have a time of reflection, perhaps, Lord, for, for us today as well, it's a time to affirm 
our conviction and belief about the historical event called the resurrection, but even as we hold the tangible cups, we bring the resurrection to April 16, 2017. We remember that you are alive at this very second and that we can enjoy a relationship with you. Amen. We'll distribute the cups and then once everyone's been served, we'll take communion together. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Go ahead and take communion. As the band comes up, as you leave, take the necessary time to let the impact of the living Jesus go with you. Amen? And then here, here's, here's a, a, a little thought for down the road and it's very important for us like I said on June 4th we are looking forward to having our first service at what we call the well over there on Grand but I, I, I really feel like it's important especially in light of today's message to, to share with you this when we make the physical transition to the new facility we are not everyone say not not we are not inviting them to come to a facility when we move to the new facility, we are not, everyone say not. Not. We are not primarily asking people to come and join an organization that happens to be called Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship. That is not our primary thing. When we move, our primary heart, our primary calling, our primary desire is that people would come and have a relationship with the living Jesus. Amen. That has got to be the core of why we're going there. It's not about the building and it's not about us. It is about a place where people can gather throughout the week and meet Jesus. And understand Jesus loves them and Jesus is alive and Jesus wants to walk with them. And he's, they're going to meet Jesus primarily through the preaching of the word and through you. See, when people come to the well and we're all about Jesus and following Jesus and believing Jesus is alive and Jesus wants a relationship with you, you know who they're primarily going to look to to see if this is legit? Uh, Nudge the person next to you. That would be us. That's us. So we have to walk with Jesus. If we're going to invite people to a relationship with Jesus, they might just say, well, okay, show me then. 
<laughs> right? And what does the Apostle Paul say? Imitate me, follow me as I imitate Christ. That's our heart. And, and God just impressed upon me that place. Don't invite them to a place. Don't invite them to an organization. Invite them to Jesus. That's just a tool. That's just a tool. But we, we, we can never stray from our primary calling to make disciples. And how do you make disciples? Because they have a relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's, just, let's just drive that stake in the ground before we even get there. It's about Jesus. Not the building, not the organization. It will always be about Jesus. Amen?